Among Us has been the hit game of 2020. Join your crewmates in a multiplayer game of teamwork and betrayal. Play online or on local Wi-Fi with 4 to 10 players as you attempt to hold your spaceship together and return to civilization. But be aware, as there may be an alien imposter aboard. One crewmate has been replaced with a parasitic shapeshifter. Their goal is to eliminate the rest of the crew before the ship reaches home. The imposter will sabotage the ship, sneak through vents, deceive, and frame others to remain anonymous as they kill off the crew. Today we are happy to present to you, on behalf of Inner Sloth Game Studios, the second rendition of Among Us. In this political version of the classic game you love, you will attempt, as usual, to identify the monster in your midst. Which of the following politicians is secretly a blood-soaked lizard person? The answer just may surprise you. It's all of them. Small podcast. Logan Carpenter here with Matthew Billingsley once again, guys. It's episode seven, and we're here today to talk a little bit about uh, kind of expanding upon our thoughts about uh, freedom of speech, uh, what it is to be free, what we need to be worried about with the government, and uh, kind of the current landscape of what's going on around this. In stunning fashion, libertarians have been lumped in with domestic terrorists, including white nationalists nativist QAnon conspiracy theorist white ring uh right wing um racist insurgency movements religious zealots and of course libertarians now of course this comes from our lovely john brennan the former director of the cia who has a spotless record when it comes to uh you know, really executing faithfully on the office and not lying us into wars and not lying us, uh, not lying to Congress and not uh, killing innocent people and not being the archetype, um, archetype of, um, I guess I should say architect of the uh, advanced interrogation system, otherwise known as torture. Um, but Logan pulled a actually a little bit of data on this. And then I'll, I'll touch back to where, where this came from and why libertarians are now suddenly lumped in with domestic terrorists. Right. And we thought it was kind of important to go over Mr. Brennan's resume here, just in case anybody's forgotten who John Brennan is. Um, this gentleman has, uh, has been, it had his fingers in the CIA for a long time. He was around during the Bush administration. Uh, he later became the head of the CIA during Obama's years. Uh, and he has just an immaculate statist uh, blood-soaked monster resume. And I think it's important that we bring that up because when he points the guns to us, throws us in with a bunch of terrorists, uh, people like ourselves, we want to make sure that the public understands that this isn't uh, coming from on high. This isn't your 
your pastor, John Brennan, that's telling you this. Um, so I pulled up, and of course, we're going to include the link to warcriminalswatch.org. Uh, this is a, a really interesting organization that I wasn't aware of until I started uh, doing a little bit of research for this episode, but I think I'm going to be diving into them a little bit more in the future, do a really interesting job of kind of documenting some of the overlooked war crimes that uh, America has propagated in the Middle East and in other parts of the world. Uh, but they had a pretty interesting little resume here for John Brennan. So uh, the first thing that comes up is that he was the first to acknowledge the CIA drone program uh, under the Obama administration. And I like the way they listed this out here rather than just saying drone program. Uh, deaths were calculated in this drone program in Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, Libya, Afghanistan, and my favorite caveat, elsewhere. Uh, so mm. they, they got tired of listing all the countries this guy has been responsible for murdering people in. Uh, I think it's also important to point out to people that this drone program uh, had an incredibly high percentage of civilian casualties. At one point in time, I think it was over 80%. I mean, it's just a, an insane thing. Um, he was also caught uh, trying to justify this. He, his exact words were that these civilian deaths are becoming exceedingly rare, uh, which was not at all the evidence on the ground. Uh, turns out not to be true at all. And they continued to, to bomb hospitals and ch uh, schools where children are, uh, killing a lot of civilians. In fact, this program killed more civilians than it did operatives uh, thus far in its its uh, existence. So this is, don't get it wrong. This isn't, uh, you know, drone bombing isn't this beautiful thing that saved uh, your, your son from going to battle. It is, in its essence, it did have some, positive aspects of that. It did keep some of our soldiers out of harm's way, uh, but realize that when you took those soldiers out of harm's way, you essentially had a guy on a computer pressing a button to murder people. And sometimes he didn't get a close enough look to, to check and make sure that they were terrorists, but rather he was bombing some wedding party uh, with two families coming together to celebrate under God's eye, the, the union of their families. Uh, and then they just had both those families wiped off the face of the earth at one time because of this gentleman. Um, I will say real fast um, that, uh, Maybe, maybe it's not that they didn't take the time to look at who else is collateral damage is that they probably didn't even care. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, that this high profile target is going to be at a wedding. And at that point you just accept that, oh, well, the collateral damage is okay. Right. What's another 50 people, as long as we get our target, which mm -hmm. kind of hurts the narrative of us being the good guys overseas and doing all these, uh, these holier than thou missions to bring democracy to these other countries when we're murdering children and women. Um, doesn't help. I also think it's interesting that he reorganized the process under the disposition matrix database uh, by which people outside of war zones were put on the list of drone targets. So not only was he primarily bombing civilians in these other countries, he was also kind of playing with the language of the law, making sure that we weren't necessarily roped in. We don't want our military's hands to be tied after all. Uh, so he was making sure that we had the opportunity to kill people who weren't in these designated war zones, which is just perfect. Um, we already talked about this, uh, killing civilians. He also uh, killed U.S. civilians without any due process of law. Um, I think his answer to that was, well, he shouldn't have been in association with any terrorist. I think this young man's father was, was loosely associated with a terrorist group uh, that I can think of. They went ahead and bombed that kid as soon as he left the U.S. and went to visit his parents for the holidays. Uh, he was earned a beautiful little nickname, the Assassination Czar, in his time under Obama, uh, for being the one primary planner and approver of drone strikes uh, and who was targeted. Uh, he lied about a number of civilians killed, uh, called it extreme, uh, exceedingly rare. We covered that already, excuse me. Um, he supported, when he was uh, not yet the director of the CIA, a gentleman named George Tenet, uh, which I wasn't 
didn't recall his name myself. It's been a little while since I've looked into the uh, Bush administration war crimes. Um, but this is the gentleman who pro knowingly provided fraudulent information, uh, AKA lied you into the wars in Iraq, as Trump uh, eloquently put it. Um, and this was uh, the reports that they did on this bipartisan reports, Democrats and Republicans agree. There's no way Brennan didn't know about this in his position of the CIA at the time. He had to be aware and therefore is liable uh, in my mind for lying us into these wars we're currently in. Um, he publicly supported rendition, which is the act of kidnapping somebody and removing them from our uh, American supervised areas, typically sending them to uh, quotation mark friendly Arab uh, forces where they were subject to enhanced interrogation techniques, which if you're not familiar with that one, that's uh, the CIA's fancy way of saying we tortured the shit out of them until we <laughs> wanted. Uh, he then went on to defend that by saying that the information we got was really uh, useful information, which can give or take what you want with that. I still think it's probably wrong to be yanking guys' fingernails off uh, and hooking them up to car batteries just to get a little bit of information out of them. You know, on a on a side note, right there, we've learned um, through the studies of enhanced interrogation that information derived under torture is actually not accurate, right? Because as the as the party being tortured, I will say whatever I can to make you stop ripping up my fingernails, waterboarding me, taking nail files to my teeth, right? Whatever, whatever you're doing to try to extract information, we now know that that's actually not even a viable way to um, to gain information. And also, uh, some of the some of the more prominent uh, techniques they used was sleep deprivation, right? So I'm just gonna like play extremely loud uh, heavy metal music, and I'm gonna make you so tired. But we all know what happens when we miss our naps, right? That's not really, um, it's not good information that comes out. I mean, my brain shuts down if I don't get enough sleep. So this idea of we're just going to, we're going to torture someone and we're going to deprive them of sleep. And then we're going to trust the information that they give us is credible and true and then go act on it. I mean, it just kind of puts it in perspective how absurd that is. I mean, you're to get information, you're far better off just like actually befriending the person and saying, like, hey, if you actually help us out, then we're not going to send you to get, uh, you know, get Mo for the rest of your life. Maybe you only get 15 you're years. Absolutely true. Right on that. I mean, uh, torture is a really good way to get somebody to talk. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to tell you the truth. Uh, they're going to say something to get the torture to stop, hopefully. Uh, I would also add that I think it's a little bit short sighted of you, Matthew, to think that they didn't check up to make sure that the information was true. I'm sure they tortured a lot more guys to make sure that information lined up when they got the opportunity. <laughs> sure they did. Uh, he also defended the use of U.S. secret prisons abroad. And I don't know uh, if you guys know a whole lot about our secret prison programs, but uh, when they have secret prisons, they're typically a little bit grosser than regular prisons. So think of anything that happened in, in the worst prison things you can think of and just magnify that by five. <laughs> and uh, here's one of my favorite ones, knowingly armed Al-Qaeda forces. This is one that's been uh, released by our CIA. Um, I think it's starting to kind of come out that the same is true about ISIS, that our government uh, decides to use these proxy forces to combat whatever force in the area we want to combat because we're tired of sending U.S. troops straight in. But what ends up happening is we're giving money directly to terrorists. Um, on that note, I did think uh, one of the funnier things to come out of him deciding to call us uh, in with all these terrorist groups it came from Spike Cohen, the uh, uh, lackluster VP candidate of the Libertarian Party this last election, um, where he said, you know, the, the silver lining of Brennan labeling us with all these terrorist groups is that we're thinking we might actually get uh, CIA funding any day now in the Libertarian Party. So I thought that was quite ironic that they would <laughs> label <laughs> up a terrorist when uh, groups like Al-Qaeda 
and ISIS, who I don't know if anybody in America doesn't consider terrorists. I'm sure there's a very, very small percentage that might make that argument, uh, but pretty commonly accepted terrorists that we directly handed money and weapons to. Mm-hmm. Um, touching on the Spike Cohen thing, I am just waiting for my uh, CIA drop outside of the window, right? I, I would really like an old school like 87 Tacoma with a 50 BMG on it. I, I just just waiting for that day. Um, but uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep my fingers crossed. But back to back to what we were talking about. John Brennan is not necessarily the the person that we should put a lot of faith and credit in when he lumps us in with these um, extremist groups. Now, to be fair, and we'll link the uh, we'll link the actual clip in the uh, episode description so you guys can watch it for yourself, right? Because I want want you to be able to see what we see and don't take our word for it. He did throw us in there at the very end of it, right? So he listed out all of these people and he said, and even libertarians. And so that kind of made me think, it's like, okay, so what have libertarians even done to get us in this position? So, I mean, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, it's like, so, okay, so we advocate for individual and property rights. Yeah, that, that, that's so terrible. You know, oh, we advocate for freer markets. Oh, yeah, we, we, you know, we advocate for equality of opportunity. You know, we, we, we advocate for all of these awesome things for society, right? But I think what really ended libertarians, um, what really did us in is that at the end of the day, we are the group of individuals who believe that the state is overgrown mostly illegitimate, spends way too much of our money, and is abusing its monopoly of force. And I think that it is that aspect that gets us lumped in with white nationalist and nativist, which uh, a nativist is just someone who believes that uh, American dollars should be spent on Americans first. Um, and, you know, insurgency movement, religious zealots. And the problem with that type of language, right, we were talking about goal set, like goal setters um, last week, and when you talk about free speech. And so, what is how do you define a religious zealot is it an evangelical christian is it a muslim that actually practices their faith like how do you actually define what a religious zealot is and at that point how many people do you just label an enemy right that's exactly what we were talking about when with this domestic terrorism bill why free speech is important because when you start giving way to people like john brennan who are going to get on the television and pontificate at us um you you run the risk if we heed those words and if society heeds those words where we start just pushing that goalpost back and it starts creeping in and it starts taking more and more people in with it and before you know it it's like according to this list you can argue that pretty much every person that voted for donald trump plus a couple million more because libertarians are in there are now are now domestic terrorists and just to step back, right, because the people that what they did on the 6th, that is a fringe group of radical people that I don't condone because it's, it's just not right what they did. Um, however, every person that voted for Donald Trump is not a member of that group that surged the Capitol, right? So just oh, because you voted for Donald Trump doesn't make you an insurrectionist. I mean, everybody that was in Washington, D.C. that day wasn't an insurrectionist. There were plenty of people who legitimately were there for peaceful protest. Uh, mm -hmm. I would even argue that some of those people inside the Capitol building probably got swept up desiring to be part of a peaceful, though probably aggressive protest. Uh, and I'm sure there's at least, I mean, I'd put my life savings, say there's at least one 18 year old kid who ended up in that Capitol building, who's likely to get labeled as a terrorist the rest of his life, 
who really didn't have any intention of committing violence, that he just got swept up in the crowd. He was a dumb kid. He went in there and he might get to go to Gitmo the rest of his life for that mistake. But to sit there and act like all of these groups, everybody who even thought about voting for Donald Trump is, is some sort of insurrectionist. Meanwhile, coming from the, the mouth of uh, one of the greatest war criminals in American history, who's probably responsible for as many deaths as any non-president that you could point to, uh, is laughing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important, important also to point out and why we got so up in arms about it. Yeah, it was an afterthought. He, he threw libertarians in there. It wasn't, you could tell it wasn't really part of what he meant to say. He just happened to, to think of it last second. Well, we're also going to look into libertarians. But when you're using this ambiguous language like this, I mean, religious zealots used to be Protestant churches. You were not of the orthodoxy. I mean, you probably go talk to the Pope right now and he would still call us zealots or, or at least, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so th- this is something that you got to realize when you use this ambiguous language, it can get changed pretty quickly. How hard is it to go from, well, I think anybody who inherently believes in a God they've never seen is a res- religious zealot. They could just outlaw religion with that kind of speech pretty easily. Just a, a turn of phrase. Um, I think it's also interesting to point out, there's a gentleman, uh, Brandon Straka. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. He is uh, used to be a very proud left-wing person. I think he's still a, a left-wing individual. Um, but he started the walk away campaign. He, in 2018, during the midterms, he decided the Democratic Party was not representing the progressives and the liberals of this country anymore. And the way that he sought to improve this was to start the walk away campaign that either the Democrats need to start representing their base, or he's going to encourage everybody to leave that he can and potentially start a new party. Uh, this gentleman, who is definitely not a Donald Trump supporter, who was pretty primarily in all left wing circles. Uh, he just had his Facebook account, the walk away campaign, over 1.5 million people just got nuked off of Facebook. It doesn't exist anymore. All these testimonies of people who were talking about why the Democratic Party wronged them, how they didn't have their back once they got into office. These aren't radical right wingers. These are people who feel like they're disenfranchised by the, the political left in this country and that the political left is not representing its people anymore. And this is kind of a, a small step towards what exactly we're talking about, that this all this talk about hate speech and needing to rein in these white supremacists, they're going to start suppressing the far right that you might hate, but it's going to move into your circle. And shockingly, it's already happening. I mean, this is not even a month out and they've already started nuking left-wingers who criticize the Democrats. I mean, how much, how much farther are you going to go before it's just, you better have this opinion or you're not speaking to anybody online. Mm-hmm. It's the, um, you know, it is the mask of unity but as soon as you pull that mask up, it says it. Uh, it says you must agree with us or else, right? And that's kind of where it's kind of where we're pushing it. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're perfectly willing to be union, uh, be brought back together as long as you guys come to our side and have our opinion. Right, so, we can be unified on my side. No diversity of opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Diver- yeah, you, you've said it. Diversity of skin color, no diversity of opinion. And what is it? And so, I mean, I've seen some seen some pretty funny tweets. And it's like, uh, as a Muslim, I'm so excited now to be bombed by the first uh, black and uh, Indian woman uh, VP. She's like, my people rejoice about the fact that, you know, there's a transgendered person in the Biden administration as the bombs continue to fall on our city, which... I know that for a lot of people, foreign policy isn't the most important thing, right? Um, that actually, I've, I've always been kind of a foreign policy geek and nerd, and 
um, really uh, focus my historical studies on American foreign policy. But at the same time, barely by accident. I mean, you and I were, I was, I think, in seventh grade when the towers got hit on 9-11. In fourth. So, I mean, we were at the time that we started kind of taking political classes in high school and just beginning to understand these things. We were living in a world where we were, as we were forming our political opinion, what we saw was an attack on America, the rah-rah to go kill all these people who brought blood on American soil, and then the unveiling of the fact that we never even went into the area where these terrorists came from, that we went into five other countries and eventually seven, and mm -hmm. probably more to be, you know, to be continued. Let's see where else we can justify going to war. And that we've had, I mean, how, how many people listening to this have had somebody they know that died overseas, that had their life changed uh, for the ever that are now crippled or have PTSD that are never going to live quite the normal life that the uh, life trajectory they were on because they were sent to war based on lies by people like John Brennan. Mm -hmm. It is. And I think that kind of takes us to a, a really good segue. Um, I want to talk about how now that the Democrats are in charge, um, I don't want to hear any more excuses, no more excuses. All right. Um, Orange man bad. We vanquished the evil dictator who suffered, you know, a four years of criticism and left the office and, you know, really acted like a dictator, you know, just peacefully handing over power. Now, I understand that a lot of people say that he incited the riots and sure, we can talk about that and the nuances about it. But can we please acknowledge, right, if in two years, the world is not perfect and shining and we have reached utopia can we please acknowledge that both parties are part of the problem and that electing these demagogues um, and hoisting them to a level that they should never be admired, that is not going to solve our problems, right? It is up to us as the individuals to fix society. And we have to play an important role in fixing society, right? As libertarians, I was actually having this conversation today with someone um, who talked about why he he identified as a libertarian for many years, but then he stopped because a bunch of his other friends who were libertarians who tend to be a little bit more on the hardline side, let's call them like capital L libertarians. When Logan and I are like lowercase L um, libertarians, minarchist type people. But he said one of the reasons that pushed him away from libertarianism is that they were not compassionate, right? They wanted everyone to just stand on their own two feet. They didn't believe in looking out for your neighbor. They didn't believe in, you know, the greater, um, the quote unquote greater good, right? And I use that term in it's probably like, I don't use that as a, as like a misnomer, right? I think that there are things that even as libertarians, we do have to strive for a more equitable society to make sure that our neighbors aren't hungry, right? Like those are all good things and that and taking care of people fits into the libertarian um, platform. But I guess what I'm trying to say though, is that no political ideology is perfect and no political party is perfect. And the people that we elect are not perfect and we cannot just sit back um, and give the next administration a pass, right? Because that's what I'm afraid is going to happen. Now, the Dems have control of everything. I want everyone to take stock of how things are being handled. I don't want to, I don't want to see us be so relieved that Donald Trump is out of office that we refuse to apply the same spotlight on the Biden administration as we did on the Trump administration. Yeah, and I think that's especially important right now because we are going to see a reversal of the adversarial media, where the media was really good about pointing out what was wrong with Donald Trump. Uh, they were pretty good about it with Bush as well, uh, at least 
after we were already entrenched in the Middle East, they, they decided to kind of turn foot. And, and if y'all don't remember that, Bush used to be the worst president of all time. It got switched over to Trump for some reason, which I still can't fathom uh, just for the fact that we're still fighting wars that Bush got us into. Uh, and, and Trump didn't at least start a new war. Not that I don't know if I'd even attribute that to Trump as much as distrust from the public and Trump and the <laughs> for him to spur up the uh, desire to go to war. Uh, but that alone, I mean, we're in five wars that Bush started. How can you not count him as the worst president <laughs> than Donald Trump is, is mind-blowing? But with that said, we, we have an opportunity here. And I think Matthew and I were both really excited at the idea of a split government, having the, the Republicans with the House and the Congress. Um, we saw that change during the runoffs. Um, and I was a little bit disheartened by it because it, it is one of those things where you're like, well, if, if you're going to have bad leadership, maybe you should at least have handicapped bad leadership where they don't have the ability to, to put in everything they want. Um, but I'm coming around to this because I think we have seen a period of time where we now have this uh, ethereal cathedral that we like to talk about, the, the state apparatus that keeps the, the intellectuals talking about how important it is to have a state, how we can't have an anarchical society, uh, and how we can't do anything to not grow the state. Uh, all this stuff about, you know, a Tulsi Gabbard saying that we don't have any proof of gas attacks, uh, and they call her a Russian spy. That kind of horse crap there. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even, uh, the, that's the, the arm of the cathedral, trying to rein in these, these adverse thoughts to the state. Um, I think that cathedral is more vulnerable right now and more visible to the American public than it's ever been. I think that we've had a, a huge undertaking because we've, um, people on the right got to see four years of Russian collusion, smoke screens brought on by the DNC from a, an agent that they paid to write the Steele dossier in the first place. Um, so the right's very aware of it right now. Um, I think we've always, at least in historical context, had a left that was pretty aware of the deep state, the CIA, um, the flower power hippies back in the 60s, at least had a good idea of this. And hopefully a little bit of that will carry over. But what I'm hoping now that we have this democratic controlled government is that we can see, and I, I don't think we're going to have any shortage of bad decisions that this administration makes. Uh, and if I'm wrong, then great. Maybe we should all start voting Democrat in four years. But uh, I, I think there's going to be plenty of bad things that happen. There's going to be military activity that's gross. There's going to be inflation of your dollar to the point where even if they do raise that minimum wage to $15 an hour, your, your buying power is going to be so much less than that's going to feel like you got that minimum wage lowered anyway. Um, and I think that it's important that we keep our, our sights right now and understand that we need to spread the message and let everybody know that, hey, this bipartisan thing is not working. You didn't think Trump was great, but Biden's doing all the same things except that he put some people of color and women in his administration uh, and he's going to make a couple silly bows to the, the woke left um, to avoid putting any actual progressive policies in place. He'll, he'll put in some stuff about, uh, I mean, the, the Paris climate accords being a great example of that where he, you know, Biden had no, no regard for how many jobs were lost in America or how bad that is for our economy or, or how silly it is. I mean, the, the main crux of this Paris climate accord from what I understand is that, China has, uh, has also entered in it and they have to start reining in their uh, greenhouse emissions by the year 2024. So we're just kind of depending on China to eventually decide to kick in. Uh, meanwhile, putting this huge spur in our economy that's gonna, gonna lessen the American buying power, uh, cause us to go further into debt. And then in 2024, uh, if I was a betting man, China's just gonna go, you know, we decided that we don't actually wanna be in the Paris Climate Accords anymore. Um, so it's one of these empty, empty platitudes. It's something that's not going to make a measurable difference in the, the climate change. Um, even if your number one issue is 
climate control and, and getting the damage that human beings have done to this planet under control, the Paris Climate Accord is not going to do anything. If you make America go carbon neutral tomorrow, we're still on the same path that, that you're claiming to destruction of the planet. So it, it's something that is an empty platitude. It's simply to appease people on the left for his, his voter base to say, hey, look, I did this thing that everybody was mad at Trump for, for getting out of. Uh, meanwhile, having no measurable difference in your life, except that it's going to make gas prices go up and a couple people are going to be out of jobs because of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, back to the M1 money supply, it has just skyrocketed. I mean, it started, it, it really picked up around the 2008 financial crisis, right? When you when you start to have this government stimulus um, interjected to save a failing economy. Um, but it like 2020, I mean, if you look at the, and I'll actually link the M1 money supply um, and for those who are listening, that is just how many dollars are in circulation right now. And I'll link it because I mean, 2020, it skyrockets to the to the point to where it's like inflation. It's already here, right? I was I was talking with people um, not too long ago, and they're talking. They were talking about their buying power, how it's already lessened from you know six months ago or a year ago. Um, but yeah, touching back on the Biden administration, I just want to say this one time, and then we can move on. I cannot for the life of me understand how we elected someone who has been in office for 44 years, who was the architect, who was the architect and created many of the problems that overwhelmingly have, you know, affected minorities. We are talking about Joe Biden, right? The guy who plagiarized his presidential run with all of these different speeches from, from politicians in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. We are talking about Joe Biden, the man who sponsored the 94 crime bill, which which has had so much negative effect. I mean, for all the talk that I hear that Donald Trump and Mike Pence are racist, they could they i mean if they are then they could only dream about doing the damage to the black community that joe biden did through that crime bill right um well, and then example, just to hop in real quick of um you have to be vigilant of this stuff you can't fall for these empty platitudes because this is what you get you you might have done a good job being anti-racist against trump and pence and maybe that kind of pressure kept them from putting in these overarching racist policies that they maybe had in their hearts that they wanted to put in there. I I don't think they got anything like that through. Uh, But if maybe you think that if it wasn't for public pressure, they would have. The thing is that if you're going to completely give Biden a pass on that, then he's going to be able to put all those horrific things in there. And this is a man who has a track record of doing so. He's not not been positive for the the African-American community in this country. And it's to, to then go Thank God we got that racist out. Now here comes the guy who's been in here 44 years and wrote the crime bill that put my uh, half of my family in prison for nonviolent drug offenses. Yep. Improve on that. He already, I mean, despite 80 something percent of Democrats, and I think it's up to 60% Republicans are, are pro legalization of marijuana. One of the first things he said when he got the, the presidential nod was we're not legalizing marijuana. <laughs> Right. They scratched that off the uh, Democratic platform or the Democratic ticket this year or the platform for the ticket. Yeah. And then, you know, and so so you have you have that man that is now elected president who is he's going to solve these problems that he helped create. And we have the top cop from California who overzealously enforced these policies. Right. I mean, all you have to do is watch that video of Tulsi roasting her on stage at the Democrat National Convention. I mean, her her run was done at that point. And I cannot for the life of me understand how we took 
this old feeble man who probably doesn't even know what day it is half the time. I mean, Logan gave him credit for doing good on the inauguration. And I think if you grade Joe Biden against Joe Biden, he did do good. But also like, look at his eyes. He has hopped up on as much Adderall as that old man's heart can withstand. And I will say that probably him and Trump were hyped up on Adderall during the debates because there's, that's way past both of those guys' bedtime. There's no way that they can stay up that late and make coherent thoughts without some sort of stimulant. But I just cannot understand for the life of me, how people can take those two people and say that, okay, yes, they are going to solve all of these issues. I mean, the only thing that comes to mind, it is 1984 doublethink. And that like, that is the only thing that I can think of. Um, it is two conflicting ideas existing simultaneously in the mind. And somehow through that, you know, that dissonance of those two ideas, it's, it suddenly makes sense, right? It's like, okay, of course we're going to elect the top cop in the the uh, the uh, the uh, author of the '94 Crime Bill to fix systemic racism. It makes perfect sense. Who would have a better idea of it than the people that were right behind it in the first place? They've got to know all the loopholes in there, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, the only way to slay the beast is from within, I do suppose. So that's just one of those things. I just have to point that out um, for the light. And if you have any sort of, I think it comes back a lot to that the non-player. Uh, characters that we talk about, NPCs or um, people who blue pill is the term that gets thrown around a lot, which is kind of low information voter. Uh, and this goes for right and left. Don't don't let this come across as we only think Democrats are low information voters. There are plenty of people who, uh, my favorite one that I hear from a lot of Trump supporters is, well, look at all the things he got done. Look how many bills he passed. He passed more bills than any president in his four years, not even eight. You know, yeah, but if they're 99% detrimental to the US public, then what does it matter how many he passed? So it's it's one of these things we have to really wake up as a nation. If we're gonna be a thriving democracy, a huge part of that is an educated voter base. And you need to know what you're voting for and not fall for these empty platitudes like this. And I, I think that that's primarily why we're stuck in the dichotomy of this two party system that's just damned us into eternal spending, uh, constant wars overseas, it's it's everything that's wrong with this country and granted it's pretty easy to point the finger at the two people who've been running it when nobody else has had their fingers in the uh the pie to say that it, the, the reason it's sour is because of those two but i mean you have to hold them responsible you can't just uh, the definition of insanity is do the same thing over and over and expect different results um mm -hmm. and people argue both sides to be you know hey we got to get these democrats out of here the spending's out of control biggest spender in american history is donald trump uh, before that, it was Obama. Before that, it was Bush. So it doesn't seem to matter if you vote Democrat or Republican. And if you're on the left, at, at least prior to Donald Trump, when they needed uh, every reason to criticize him, even if it was for him being anti-war, they were very anti-war. And these, these warmongers, look what the, the Bush family sent us into the Middle East twice. We came back once already. and We had to go back again based on false information lied to us by the CIA, supposedly our intelligence agency who decided it was more important for us to go to war than for the Americans to know the truth about those attacks. And yet Obama took us to five wars after the two countries that, that George Bush took us into. So either way you vote, it seems like we get basically the same policies from these two. Yep. You are a hundred percent correct. Um, so I think uh, just shifting gears now, um, something that's been on my mind, cause I'm just, and I, I'm really trying hard to balance, right. Um, you know, uh, news and politics with also like my own creative endeavors and 
getting outside and breathing fresh air and being positive because it can be overwhelming, right? Especially when you're, when you kind of live in this political bubble, but something I've been noticing about um, just the, the, just the, the narrative over the last couple of days where it seems to like, there's this over this overarching, like, idea of treading on other people right so like you as an american you have the right to live without government interference right and i think one of the silver linings of donald trump because i don't think he was good for much but he was good for a few things and i think probably the best thing that donald trump ever did with his um you know ascension to the to the throne of the united states presidency is that people became skeptical of the office of the president. You know, when Bush and Obama lied us into wars, we were okay with it because, you know, the office was perceived as distinguished, right? Obama said some terrible things, but you felt good about the way that Obama said it, right? You know, he can he can sit there and tell you some bad news, but it's like, well, man, he really does carry himself extremely well. And I feel good about the way he just presented that information. But when Trump tried to start a new war, we were all like, whoa, slow down there, buckaroo. You know, it's like, just just pump the brakes, take it easy. And I think that that's probably the best thing. But no matter who's in charge, the state has no business in most aspects of our life. And I think that what we are going to see in the next two years is this kind of just creeping blob, right? Because that's the way I describe government. It is just this slow unwieldy blob that just moves in any direction it kind of has room to flow in and it doesn't move particularly fast but it is very viscous once it gets a hold and it's very hard to push the blob back once it's rolled rolled something up into it but no matter who is in charge we've got to acknowledge that the state is just so overgrown because guess what i don't want people on dc i don't want bureaucrats i don't want all of all of these people that have no idea about the, you know, the details of my life, the, the specifics of my situation, making these wide sweeping policy changes, right? And I saw something that was kind of funny. It was, and it's also not necessarily true because, um, but anyways, it's, it's the libertarians keeping Republicans out of your bedroom and Democrats out of your wallet. And even though it's like both parties actually kind of want to be in your bedroom and both parties actually do kind of want to be in your wallet, they just want different things when they're in there. Um, but in the wake of this new administration, we have got to take the time to really push home the fact that no matter who's in charge, right, cool, you got your person in blue jersey on for the next couple of years, hurrah, no matter who's in charge, the individual must remain sovereign. And we cannot give in to this this sweeping narrative that we need more state, that the state needs to be in, involved in more aspects of our life. Yeah, think of uh, the NSA, the spying apparatus that's put on you, the Patriot Act, uh, the wars in the Middle East now. Uh, these are all things that they use fear to instill in you to make a justification for these actions for our government to do. And they're all things that are pretty widely accepted as, as negatives now. There's not a whole lot of people that love the NSA. Um, <laughs> and maybe it's increasing a little bit now that we want to start spying on everybody to make sure that we don't have different views, but uh, we got to be careful of this. There's, there's been a lot of studies that go into, and I, I try to link it. I, I didn't put it down to, to reference what college this came out of, but I know I read specifically about one university where they just gave people uh, negative news, just bombarded them with fear-based media for uh, two weeks. And within two weeks, even when they showed them proof to the contrary, 
they're extremely resistant to that because we we do have this herd mentality when we get scared we want to make sure that we're safe we want to take care of our loved ones and these things all come from good places i mean we all when we got attacked in 9-11 we thought we have to do something about it. we have to make sure this never happens again and ironically the actions we took are probably going to guarantee that it's going to continue to have that issue for the next 20 years uh because like i've always said when you kill a kid's father it's pretty easy to radicalize him against america after that um NSA the same way. I mean, we, we all thought we need to make sure that we have word that we know this type of thing is coming before it hits um, so that we can stop these kinds of things. Uh, again, the irony of that being that I think uh, both 9-11 showed evidence as well as Pearl Harbor that we kind of had an inkling of these things happening and chose not to do a whole lot about it as a government uh, because we did need these things to kind of force us into that. Maybe that's a little bit on my uh, conspiracy circles again. Um, that one's tough to prove. That one's yet yet to prove be proven. I, I say it's just tough to prove, right? I mean, it, it it does take it past. It does take it into the more conspiratorial waters. Not that I'm opposed to it, but it, it is hard to prove that you know they knew that Pearl Harbor was going to happen. And they just allowed it to happen. However, there's some pretty good arguments for it too. Right, and and these are, I mean, just the the point of that being that they want to consolidate power. The people that make these rules are interested in one thing. And that is entrenching themselves in power and increasing their own power. That's kind of how power goes. That's why uh, we are both libertarians is because we believe that no matter what your structure of government is, the one constant throughout human history of it is corruption. And that the people who want that type of power tend to be the type of people that you don't want to have that type of power or the, the sociopaths of our society, the ones who don't mind, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to become president of the United States. You have to, be willing to step on some necks along the way. And I think almost every, I would imagine every president we've ever had has done some pretty nefarious things, maybe short of George Washington, you know, maybe he was the, the one that they said, eh, he got us free. We might as well elect him to be our first King, uh, first term of temporary Kingship. Um, right. But all these presidents, they, they all have horrible skeletons in their closet to have gotten where they got. Uh, and they're not great people. <laughs> That's quite true for any politician in your Congress right now, for the most part. I'm sure there, hopefully, uh, there are some some caveats to that. Like uh, I'd like to think Ron Paul's one of those, but uh, you know, these are these are bad people. People that that get this kind of power are are doing it because they want to use this kind of power. It's pretty rare that you get the empirically good person in charge of the whole operation. Right. So I do want to I do want to kind of shift focus though. Um, more to more towards the individuals and we're going to stop ranting about government and we're going to start ranting about um each other right so this idea of like do not tread that also um that really manifests itself into culture right and so i think i got it wrong last week culture is upstream from politics right because it flows down to um to politics so culture is upstream from politics and this idea that we want to tread on people's lives as a society, right? Oftentimes we don't even understand what's best for us. So how can, how in any good faith can we understand and decide what is best for someone else? And that is why Logan and I are libertarians. And that is why we call for a return to individual responsibility and individual rights, because I have no idea how to run your life. I struggle with my own, right? I, I can't, I, I, str I struggle with my own and a dog attached in it, you know? Like how could I ever decide what is good for anyone else, especially 
this uh, wide sweeping 330 million Americans. And we're going to link this video of Alan Watson. He's talking about like the idea of virtue, right? And how the road to road to hell is paved with the best intentions. And that is kind of the, the, the angle I want to, I want to take this on because if we can't decide, if we empirically do not know what is best for someone else, then we have to come to this place, right? If that is true, then the next logical conclusion is that freedom also demands tolerance, right? If we're going to be in a free society, then there has to be room on the other side of the aisle for us to disagree with, you know, and there's, there's, we do have principles, right? The non-aggression principle. There are things that kind of guide us that show how we should be interacting with our fellow man. But at the end of the day, to have a truly free society, there has got to be room for you and I to sit across the table and say, you know what? I agree to disagree. And even though I strongly disagree with that idea, I will defend to the death that you have the right to think that, you know, without those caveats, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody and it's not inciting violence, right? And I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep, you know, attacking my own idea with this, but this idea, what I've been seeing in society are essentially, you can boil them down to thought crimes, right? The calls for the truth and reconciliation council. You know, we need a list of every person that enabled Donald Trump, every person that served in his administration. We need a list of those people. You know, the the calls for Trump supporters to be reprogrammed. What does that even mean? Right. Because I'm a little, you know, and I'm a, I'm a history buff. So maybe maybe my reading's a little bit deeper than than most. But I took a class on genocide, a full semester, and it was it was kind of a hard class to get through. You know, you leave every Tuesday and Thursday by 3 p.m. You're just kind of down on the world. It's like, man, that's all we did. We just studied the worst atrocities in human history. And almost every single one of them, save like the Rwandan genocide, they all start with camps. There's a lot of camps in genocides, right? If you want to talk about the Armenian genocide, uh, the, the, the Turkish genocide of the Armenian population, right? It's all about like, we're just, uh, we're re-educating and re redistributing populations. And they send them to camps and a lot of people go missing on those trains, right? Uh, if you want to talk about the Holocaust, right? Well, we're just going to hold you in a camp, right? And so this idea of like, re like we need to send Trump supporters to be reprogrammed. What does that even mean? Because I understand where people are coming from. They are equating Trumpism to Nazism, right? So this idea of reprogramming comes from an American policy known as denazification. And we've done this and we did that in Germany. We also did that in Iraq with debathification, even though it was not nearly as uh, it was, it was a, it was a far worse decision in Iraq. And I'll, I'll save you guys the history lesson and kind of the nuances of it. But this idea of like de-Trumpification what I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I can understand that there are some zealots and there are some extremely radical people in that movement, but you will find those, you will find those type of people in every single demographic, right? There's always radicals, but I just don't understand why we are calling for this as a society because freedom must allow room for those that we disagree with. And without room for us to disagree, we pull on that proverbial knot, right? And like I said, a couple episodes, right? Um, if we keep pulling on that knot and it gets so tight that we cannot untie it or no one who wills it can untie it, the knot has to be cut. And the not being cut in this, um, in this particular situation is civil war because when we cannot talk violence starts, right? Think about domestic violence and think about like fist fights and all of these things. Like what happens? Communication is broken down. 
there's no there's no open two-way flow of information you're either talking past the person or talking at the person not with the person at a certain point someone says all right i've had enough and they smack you you know and so this idea of us really trying to remove the idea that yes we are a free country but you must agree with me i i vehemently disagree with that and let's bring it into some some more uh you know, forget about the history lessons of, of the Nazis and the other internment camps. Um, let's let's come back to common day. We have a country. There's dangerous rhetoric from people who are against this state and therefore against its people. And that we need to think about re-educating these people. Uh, and I'm not talking about Trump supporters. I'm talking about the Uyghurs in China. These are people who had opinions that were unacceptable to the state. They were considered dangerous uh, because they didn't have the same views as the Communist Party in China. And um, maybe you can find again, maybe there's a small percentage of Americans out there who are pretty cool with the, the internment camps there and the re-education camps for the Uyghurs. But I think it's pretty much understood by all Americans that's a, a war crime and an atrocity that they're essentially brushing up against the idea of genocide with this group, that they could wipe them off the, the planet of the earth never to return uh, simply because they disagreed politically uh, and, and maybe religiously with, with what the powers of be are. Um, and these are the dangers of it, guys. You, again, any of these things that get used, um, you roll them out, you say, you know, hey, we need this because of X, Y, or Z. The people who get to wield this power are going to wield it in whatever way they think is necessary to get what they want. And even, I mean, these people, Matthew and I like to call them psychopaths. They may even themselves have in their head what they think is the best thing for this nation to help us as Americans to, to propagate democracy around the world, to, to keep America safe. Um, at least they get billed that way. Uh, you know, Brennan tried to justify every one of those war crimes that we rattled off earlier. They were all necessary. They saved American lives, is what he said. Um, they killed a lot of women and children in other countries, but they saved a couple American lives. So that, you know, and perhaps you are cold-blooded enough that you can justify that, but I, I personally do not feel comfortable co-signing this type of atrocities around the world. I don't want to be, you know, the, the left likes to throw around the right side of history thing when it comes to Trump. I want to be on the right side of history and saying that I didn't co-sign all these genocides. I didn't co-sign us having the, the largest cholera outbreak just based on our embargo of ports in Yemen, uh, that I didn't support us bombing those kids. Um, I didn't, didn't support us going into these foreign countries, disposing their duly elected democratic presidents and sending them back into abstract poverty uh, into open slave markets. I mean, the, the things that we have done overseas in the name of, of justice and, and democracy have basically guaranteed that the Middle East is not gonna be coming out of this uh, impoverished state anytime in our lifetimes. Right, and you, you, you know, you're totally right about being on the right side of history. And just to like turn this back internally again, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history when it comes to the idea of like censorship and canceling culture. So um, I do want to talk about cancel culture to kind of wrap this conversation up. I think cancer, and I'm going to get a little philosophical and spiritual with you guys, so just bear with me here. Um, I think cancel culture is toxic and is and is removing an extremely important aspect of our society, right? Any any free functioning society has to have a concept in it. 
And that concept is forgiveness, right? Now, I will say that forgiveness comes after repentance, right? Like you can't, uh, it's hard to forgive someone who is not apologetic for what they have done. But in but cancel culture, I think, is taking our ability as a for as a society to forgive each other. And I mean that that's biblical. That's that's wherever you want to derive your morals from. There, there's an over an overarching theme of how forgiveness is important in a society because guess what? We make mistakes, right? No person is perfect. We are we are fallible creatures that um, that are subject to temptations and we fall short of our own of, of our own standards and the standards of, of a deity if you believe in it. Um, but at the same time, the idea of forgiveness has to permeate because that is what moves us forward. And instead of allowing people to reconcile and allow people to grow and apologize and change. We are just shunning and neglecting people. And to me, that is a, like that is probably one of the most toxic aspects of our society that I see right now. Now, and I understand that it's not, it's not to the extreme yet. But if you can, let's just take an example, right? Like if I'm a journalist or I'm or I have a blog and I say something that isn't a hundred percent, you know, on point PC, not, not a hundred percent coof, you know, I should be allowed. Now I'm not saying that I have, I should be free from the consequences of my actions, right? Like if I, if I spew a truly important thought, then that is that, but let's just take this position. Let's say that I don't believe every single person that votes for Donald Trump is a racist. Okay. Now if society thinks that that is false and they say cancel Matt Billingsley. You know, I don't I don't like that because it's just an opinion, right? And I don't want to move to this world where we are creating radicals because we're just canceling them, right? Like if I have something that and I think that's kind of a bad example. I don't really have a good example off the top of my head, but if I come to a point to where I say something, I did something that was in the past or even in the present, and I understand the error of my ways, I should have the option and the ability to reconcile that with society, to apologize, to grow, and to change and show people moving forward that I am truly repentant of that. But cancel culture to me is just yanking that out, out under the rug, out, uh, yanking the rug out from under us, where it's like, instead of Instead of addressing the ideas, we're just like canceled. Instead of you know attacking the uh, attacking the idea for what it needs to be attacked, we're just saying canceled. I don't like that. Get out of here. That does not create unity. Canceling does not create unity. And we talked about this last week. And I only say it once: sunlight sanitizes hate. And when you start canceling people and removing their platforms and making it, you know, essentially. Hmm, trying to think of the right word. Uh, when you make people an outsider in society, right, you start to create this underclass. And I don't want to live in a world where someone can be fired for their p- political ideology, right? Like if the greatest uh, atrocity and sin that they've committed against me is in the ballot box, then I think that that person should have freedom of movement across this country. They should be able to hold a job regardless of what their political ideology. Now, like I said, there's, there's exceptions. And if you're going to be spewing hate speech, well, then I'm not really all that upset if a company chooses not to hire you because it is that company's decision. But you guys, I hope you understand where I'm coming from, where I don't want to see us persecute our neighbors because we, I think we're really failing to understand in our towns and in our states, and especially as a country, like 
we're Americans right now, for better or for worse, we're all in this country and we have got to learn how to play nicely with each other. And to start by playing nice, maybe we got to stop throwing stones across the playground and we've got to stop yelling at the other kids and we've got to stop calling them names. And we've got to come to a place where if a kid pushes me down and later comes and apologizes for it, then we should be able to reconcile and move forward. I think I have a good uh, potential metaphor for this or, or comparison, um, especially because of the typically the, and we're probably going to see this fight fire with fire sort of thing. We're going to see conservatives maybe take up this cancel culture, or at least be tempted to do so. But if you're of this cancel culture and you think that cancel culture is forming a, a positive aspect, then I would encourage you to think about how you reconcile that with the idea of people getting out of prison. Uh, with felons being able to get jobs where uh, I, I, for one, as a libertarian, I think once you've served your time, um, especially these people who are in there for nonviolent drug felonies who just had a little bit too much marijuana on them or, or you know, even if they were selling uh, crack cocaine or, or methamphetamine, something like that, they got a sentence. The court of law decided how long they should be in there to, to repay this debt to society. They did so. They came back out they should be able to get a job, be able to start a life. And that's something that I think a lot of uh, left-wingers in this country would champion that idea. And yet at the same time, if you voted for Donald Trump, you should be turned, thrown into an internment camp for the rest of your life. I don't see how these things jive together. You have to understand that it, it, we need forgiveness for everyone, that, that nobody can rejoin the society and, and bring potentially the, the change and the positives to this world. Um, and who, who better to reach those future criminals potentially than someone who's been through this life, seen the error of their ways and, and can reach out to these people. Um, Daryl Davis, we talked about last week, uh, some of the gentlemen that he had converted over to, to leave the KKK are now actively out there turning people away from these racist ideas. Uh, these are people who had abhorrent ideas. They were people who, I mean, I don't know how many of them were truly involved in it, but they may have been involved in lynching young black men. They may have, they certainly were probably involved in, in making their life harder in their local areas uh, these are people who were, were terrible. They, they did grotesque things to our society. And yet now they're out there doing incredibly positive things. Um, you know, every cell in the human body regenerates and changes every seven years. So to, to hold somebody to the standards of what they were seven years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, is, is something we need to understand as a society that we're not growing that way. We need to move away from that. We need to understand that we need all of us. We need everybody to to be working towards something, even if we're not all working towards the same goal, we need to at least be disposing our own ideas towards each other and, and hopefully making this a stronger nation in the process. Mm -hmm. And the way we do that is, you know, it's lit, it's live and let live. And I think that that is probably one of the, the most foundational um, aspects of libertarianism is that I want to, I want you to be able to have all of the freedoms all of the time. And I want those for me and I want those for everyone else. But again, freedom has to have room for tolerance, right? Because in an unfree society, yes, you can get one idea. You can get one opinion. You can have one voice, but that is an unfree society. A truly free society has to have room for tolerance, 
disagreement. And it also has to have room for forgiveness because we're not going to always get it right, right? Now, I understand that there, there are consequences to your actions, right? And I'm not here to just abstain everyone or absolve everyone of all of their past sins, right? Because I don't have the power to do that anyways. But uh, I hope you guys understand what I'm trying to say. This idea, though, that we have to all think the same way and we all have to agree on every single thing is pushing us to a place that starts to negate the individual and like i said in one of the first episodes i think the most vulnerable per, the most vulnerable population in a state society is the individual and we've got to turn our eyes back on the individual and fight for our individual rights right and it's one of those things like i don't want to i don't want to try to tell you how to live your life because i don't know how to tell you how to run your life. I, could, I am not great at running my own life. I could never decide how to run someone else's. And I think that we have to take a step back as society and understand that people that we disagree with politically, people that live in different areas, than we do people that think differently about sexuality, people that think different about marriage, people that think differently about all of these other cultural issues, they are not the enemy. They just think differently. And we have got to stop demonizing people for thinking differently. I think it's important too to point out that that's the risk you run with centralized planning. That we have people who live thousands of miles apart in vastly different cultures and vastly different climates. And that it's going to be pretty difficult to make one rule that is best for every single American. And that's kind of what leads us to, to our whole ideology that each individual should at least have a, a better grasp of their own life and what would be better for their life. And even if they don't, at least they're going to have more information on the table for what could be potentially better for them. And they, their people are going to make the wrong decision for sure. Uh, but I think they should be free to do so. I think it's, it's much less gross when I make the wrong decision in my life and it causes negative af aspects than when the state makes the wrong decision in my life and I have to be drafted into war to go to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. yeah, I hear you. On that note, I would like to, I think that um, just like moving forward, it would be kind of fun to play with this idea um, that whoever, so if a president starts a new war, whoever voted for that president is the first in the draft. Like if it ever comes up to the point where you actually have to start drafting bodies to fight it, I think we should start with whoever voted for that president they get to go first. Um, now, I guess it, you, you, there's going to be nuances, right? Well, is it like an attack or is it self-defense or, you know, because the non-aggression principle actually does allow for the retaliation of violence, right? Um, but I think just to kind of wrap this up is we can start as a society. It's really simple. Do not take, do not hit other kids and do not take their popsicles. And we can start there as a society, right? And then at that point, if we can understand that I don't hit you and I don't take your popsicle, that is going to be the foundation for us to truly start to grow as a society, to come together instead of further apart and really try to start hashing out some of these ideas. These differences are not evil. They are simply differences. Yeah, I agree. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you guys very much, um, as always, for uh, listening in. Please uh, like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and we will be back next Tuesday for another episode for you guys. Bye.